You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming, with Pastor Keith Miller. It's hard to believe that this time last year I was staring into a camera and you were watching, you know, from home, the, our, our first Good Friday service since I was hired and called to be uh, the, the pastor here. So uh, this is, for me, this is exciting. I'm so so glad that we could be here together to celebrate, to remember Good Friday. You know, why do we call it good? Well, because of what it accomplished. That's why we call it good. Uh, if you're new, you know, to maybe the Christian faith, or maybe you're still trying to figure it out, you're not sure what to make of Jesus, but you're here with family, uh, my hope for you is that you'll, you'll walk away from here, just having a clear understanding why this is such an important day, that the, you know, all throughout church history, we've carved out this day to remember the death of, of Jesus Christ and what led him to the cross. So I, I titled this, just this meditation, this devotional, this, this talk, uh, The Day God Died. You know, the Bible says that Jesus was born of a virgin that he lived the life that we can never live, that he died the death that we all deserved. And what makes that so significant is that Jesus is God in flesh. He's the second member of the, uh, of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And the reason why God had to die in our place for our sins is because of the magnitude of our sin. And uh, it also tells of the great love in which God you know, loved us, that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. I was thinking about what led Jesus to the crucifixion. Now, some would think when he was, you know, tried, he actually went through six different trials. Well, we'll I'll talk about that tonight briefly. Some would say that, well, it was Pilate that sent him to the cross, but it was actually a statement that Jesus made that was the point of no return for him that led him to the cross. And it's, it's found in the Gospels, uh, and I'm going I'm to read it for you. It's, it's found in Matthew chapter 26. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. If you don't own a Bible, take one that's under the seat and take it home with you. That's a gift from us to you. It says this, so Jesus was handed over to be tried, and it says, uh, then, then Caiaphas, who was a high priest, asked Jesus during the, these trials, asked Jesus, uh, actually commanded Jesus, he said, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, in, ver- in verse 64, he said, you have said so, but I tell you from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And so at that, Caiaphas tore his, his garments, we're told. He tore his garments, and he uh, said this. He said, he has uttered blasphemy, which was punishable by death. What further witness do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. And then they handed him over, eventually they handed him over to Pilate because they didn't have the authority to have him executed by crucifixion. They had the authority to stone him to death. They wanted him to die by crucifixion. 
And uh, all, the Bible says, all by the predetermined plan of God. That God was, was in this, he was moving through this, and this was for, for you and for me. Jesus died on the cross to satisfy the justice of God and the love of God for, for you and for me. And so I just want to just camp on that. It, it was that statement. When Jesus made that statement, he knew this is, what was going to, this is what's going to get me to the cross. And Jesus had set his eyes on the cross. He set his face towards the cross. Like hours before this trial, he was in a garden called the Garden of Gethsemane. And he prayed to God. He said, God, if it is your will, let this cup pass from me. Now, what cup? It was a metaphorical cup. It was a metaphorical cup of God's wrath, spoken, spoken about in the Old Testament. It, uh, it represented the wrath of God that you deserve and I deserve. Jesus said, if it is your will, let this cup that I don't deserve pass from me. And he said, but not my will, but your will be done. And, and we're told that Jesus, by going to the cross, drank the full cup of God's wrath. And so I just want to just point out three things that the, the cross of Jesus Christ, Jesus going to, leading to the cross and the cross itself, teach us about God's love for us and, and who we are in light of uh, what he accomplished. And the first is this, is that Jesus was abandoned so that we would never be forsaken. When Jesus was in the upper room celebrating Passover, uh, he, he said, one of you is going to, you're going to betray me. And they all said, no, no, we're not going to do that. And then Peter said, no, uh, you know, I, I'll never deny you. And, and then we find out later Judas was the one who, who betrayed him. Later on, not only did Judas betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. I mean, think about that. Judas hung out with Jesus. Judas was friends with Jesus. And then for 30 pieces of silver, Judas betrayed Jesus, handed Jesus over to the religious leaders, or at least told the religious leaders where they could find him. But Judas wasn't the only one that betrayed Jesus. Peter denied Jesus. The disciples ran away. The only disciple that remained with Jesus while Jesus was being crucified was, was John. And, uh, and so Jesus was abandoned so that we would never be forsaken. But that wasn't, those weren't the only people that abandoned Jesus. We learned that God the Father abandoned Jesus. He turned his face from Jesus. While on the cross, Jesus cried out. One of several statements that he had on the cross, he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? While on the cross, he was even mocked by those who were being crucified along with him. They heaped insults, we're told, on him. The religious leaders said, and, and others said, he saved others, but he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of, the, of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Jesus, Jesus was forsaken or so that we would never, or Jesus was abandoned so that we would never be forsaken. That's the first thing that we learn about Good Friday. The second thing that we learn from Good Friday, well, actually, before we go there, I want to show, just look at Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3. Let's read this together. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, 
and as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Jesus was abandoned so that we would never be forsaken. And what I mean by we is all those who place their faith and trust in Jesus. All those who believe that Jesus went to the cross on our behalf, died a sin that we deserve, died for sin, sin that we're guilty of, died a death that we, we all deserve, died a, a, a condemnation that he experienced that we all deserve to experience. Secondly, Jesus was wrongfully accused so that we would so that we could be made innocent. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Um, the Bible says that, that uh, from, from birth, you know, we're born sinners. Actually, it says, in sin my mother conceived me. That's what one of the psalmists said. That's what David said. Jesus was wrongfully accused so that we could be made innocent. I mean, think about all the accusations that were made of Jesus leading up to the cross. Caiaphas wasn't the only one looking for a reason to crucify Jesus. You had uh, Annas, who he, he wanted to see Jesus put to death. The Sanhedrin, that was the Jewish like, high court. They wanted to see Jesus put to death. And after Jesus made that statement, that incriminating statement, that you will see the Son of Man, seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven, that was all that they needed to hand Jesus over to Pilate. Now, come back on Sunday and I'll explain what, what Jesus, you know, why that statement that Jesus made was so incriminating, but I'll just kind of clue you in. Jesus was quoting from an Old, Old Testament prophet by the name of Daniel, Daniel chapter 7, and Daniel said, there's, a, there's coming a day when the, when the Messiah will come from heaven and he will sit up, he will set up his kingdom on earth and he will reign forever and ever. And uh, when, so Jesus said, I'm that guy. And Caiaphas and the religious leaders thought, well, if he really is that guy, we won't be able to kill him, but we're going to kill him and prove that he's not that guy. So they handed Jesus over to Pilate to be, to be uh, crucified. Pilate didn't know what to do with him, right? So what did Pilate do? He questioned him, and then he said, well, this is too much for me. I'm going to hand Jesus over to Herod. Herod was like Pilate's enemy. He didn't, they didn't like each other. And, uh, and so he, he had Jesus sent over to Herod, and Herod couldn't find anything wrong with him, so Herod sent him back to, 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 to Pilate which makes trial number six. All of the trials that Jesus experienced were illegal. And so Pilate thought that he, or felt trapped, so he handed Jesus over to be scourged. Now, just so you know what that means, Roman, Rome had soldiers that were specially trained in the art of scourging. And what they used was a, a type of whip called the cat of nine tails. And at the end of these, uh, of these whips were bone, sometimes glass, sometimes metal. And the whole purpose of this was to torture the person being whipped. So some people called it the halfway death because some people never survived it. That was all that was needed. Jesus was scourged. And, uh, and then when Pilate, after he was scourged, when Pilate brought Jesus in front of the crowd thinking that maybe this would be enough. He asked, what do you want me to do with this person? 
And they said, crucify him. And, uh, and so Pilate thought, well, there's one more option. There's this thing that, you know, is a tradition where you can choose which person you want to be let go to be freed and which person you want crucified. And Barabbas was a known murderer, and he thought, well, this would be an easy choice for the crowd. So he presented Jesus and Barabbas in front of the crowd, and what, what did the crowd do? They chose Barabbas to be freed so that Jesus would be crucified. Jesus was wrongfully accused so that we could be made innocent. You know, you, th- you think about it, the whole point of that, I mean, this is a, these are historical events, these, this happened, nobody denies that Jesus was crucified. The whole point of that, the whole point of that is that when we read the gospel, when we read about Jesus being sentenced to death and Barabbas being set free, is that for the, the person reading the gospel accounts, the person we ought to identify with is that we're all Barabbas. We're all guilty. Jesus is the only one that's innocent. And so they handed Jesus over to be crucified, which leads me to the third thing that we learn about Good Friday, the third lesson that Good Friday teaches us is that Jesus became a curse so that we could be forgiven and redeemed. Now, what do I mean by curse? Well, the Bible says that uh, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God pronounced a curse over all creation. He told, he told Adam, he said, every time you try to generate life or bring forth life from the ground, you're going to experience thorns and thistles, meaning it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard work. And, uh, and I still think that, that Adam got the better end of the deal because Eve was told, every time you give forth, give, give forth life, every time you give, give birth, you will be reminded of death. And for every person that experienced giving birth, is that not a reminder of death, right? I, I watched it. It was a reminder of death. You know, I said, I am so glad I'm a guy. Um, I didn't say that out loud because uh, pregnant women have superpowers, and uh, they can be very dangerous. We have several of them in church today. So, but Jesus became a curse so that we could be forgiven and redeemed. So they cried out, let him be crucified. And then they said, may his blood be on us and our children. They didn't know that they were prophetically stating that what Jesus was purposefully accomplishing. Like Jesus going to the cross was not an accident. It was not something out of his control. In fact, he told Pilate earlier, before Pilate sentenced him to be crucified, he said, you would have no authority over me except the authority that was given to you by my father. So they handed Jesus over to be crucified, but, that, but before the crucifixion, the soldiers wanted to have their way with him. So they put a cloak over him, or like a, a robe, a, a purple robe. They made, they made thorn, a crown of thorns, which is very significant, and they, they placed it upon his head. We read in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, it's in the Bible, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. That's actually uh, a quote from, from Deuteronomy, which is the, in the Old Testament, written hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was crucified on the cross. Jesus was mocked by the soldiers, he was, he was ridiculed by the soldiers, and then he was forced to carry his cross to the place of his execution. And so as we think about Good Friday and we think about the crown of thorns, 
What's so significant about that? Why, are, why is the crown of thorns mentioned in this whole account? Why is that so significant? Why did the gospel writers feel that it was so important to make sure that every person reading this, this account of the way Jesus died understood that he wore a crown of thorns? Because it symbolized the curse. Like I said, Adam was told <laughs> every time you try to generate life from, from the ground, you're going to encounter thorns and thistles. When Jesus was, when that crown of thorns was placed upon his, his head, it symbolized that he was not only dying for sinners like you and for me, but he was dying for the purpose of making all things new, to reverse the curse of sin. Like last year, we were stuck at home, most of us, right, because of a pandemic. You know, some who are watching the live stream are, you know, are, are there because because of the pandemic. They didn't, weren't able to get their vaccine shot or they're at risk or whatever. The reason why we have pandemics and the reason why we have the, the kind of mess that we have in our world today is because our world is under a curse. When Jesus was nailed to that cross and that cross was erected, he wore a crown of thorns to symbolize the fact that he was going to one day make all things new. But in order to do that, he had to die for sinners like you and for me. And, uh, and we learn that after Jesus cried out, it is finished, the ground shook. Why did the ground shake? It was as if Jesus was, you know, in that, in that proclamation, it is finished. It wasn't a cry of, of defeat, it was a cry of victory. It is finished. What is finished? Everything that is needed for redemption, everything that is needed to make all things new, it is finished. The, the, the Son of God, who was 100% man and 100% God, died on that cross in your place and in my place. The cross shows us the magnitude of our own sin and the ugliness of our own sin. And it also shows us the depth of God's love for you and for me. It shows us a lot of things. And when the ground shook, it shook to symbolize that Jesus was redeeming what was lost in the Garden of Eden. We're told he breathed his last, the earth shook, the rocks were split, and tombs were also opened. So what else happened? Well, we're told that the curtain in this temple, the temple was the center of, of, of worship in Israel, and there was this place called the Holy of Holies where nobody was permitted to go. There was only one person that was permitted to go, and that was the high priest, and, uh, and they, they would select which high, you know, which high priest would go into the Holy of Holies to make the sacrifice, which was, the, which was the, during Passover. And you know what they would do? Uh, just to be sure that, he, that this person survived, that the high priest survived, they would either tie a rope around his waist or a rope around his leg so that when he went into this place, that God said, if you go in, into, this, into the Holy Holies and you are not careful and you have not atoned for your sins, you will die. So that they would tie a rope around the, the person. And if they died, they would pull them out. And so, so only one person was able to go through, the, through that curtain and he had to have all of his sins atoned for. And when Jesus died... And when he said, it is finished, and he breathed his last, and he, and he died, and the ground shook, we're told that the curtain in the temple that separated the Holy of Holies from everywhere else was torn in two. Why, why, what's significant about that? I'll tell you. Um, 
early on in the gospel accounts, we're told that Jesus was baptized. And when he was baptized, we're told in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, if you're taking notes or mental notes or whatever, he said this, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the, in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my, my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. At Jesus' baptism, the curtain of heaven was torn open to symbolize that God was making his presence with us, God in the flesh. You know, we're told that, that, uh, that, that, that when Mary was, was told that she was going to give birth to this child, even though she was a virgin, we we're told that his name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when the curtain, when the curtain was torn in two when Jesus died, you know what that symbolizes? That we can enter into the presence of God as those who have been forgiven, that, that when we go before him, if we've placed our faith and trust in Jesus, when we go before him in prayer, when we, when, we, when we pray to him, and when he sees us, he sees his sons, he sees his daughters, he sees those who, are, have, been, who have been completely forgiven. We're told that as a result of Jesus dying on the cross, if you're a Christian, that all of your righteousness is not a righteousness that you made on your own. It wasn't the amount of times you read your Bible. wasn't the amount of times you went to church. wasn't how many Easter services you want or how many Good Friday services you want to or Christmas services that you want to. It is simply by, for this fact that Jesus lived the life that you could never live, and his righteousness is now your righteousness. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, meaning you will be redeemed. Your sins will be forgiven. That's it. Christianity is the only religion, you know, Christianity in, in light of what the Bible teaches, true Christianity is the only religion in the world that says that you can't do enough to earn God's forgiveness, that he's accomplished, accomplished it all for you on your behalf. Jesus went to the cross for our sins. The curtain was torn to symbolize that Jesus became sin for us. He became our sin so that we can become his righteousness. The Bible says that God made Jesus sin for us so that in him we might have the righteousness of Christ. We're going to celebrate communion and... Um, each and every one of you uh, should have received one of these. Children can, you know, if, you, uh, if it's okay with your mom and dad, uh, mom and dad, children can also participate in this if you're a Christian. The Bible says that this is the one practice, the one thing that we do, that um, it's important that when we do this that we know where we stand with God. And if you're a Christian, every single, every single Christian is encouraged to Remember what Jesus did on the cross for us. So the bread symbolizes the body of Christ. Hours before Jesus was betrayed, he celebrated this, this meal called the Passover meal. It's a, this meal. I'm hoping next year we'll be able to have a Passover meal here. That's, that's my plan. I'm talking to some people about doing that. Uh, when we do communion, it's just, a, it's just like a, a little snapshot of, of what they experienced in the upper room. But Jesus passed the bread around and he, and he broke it and he said, this bread 
is my body, which is given for you. I'm going to be pierced for you. I'm going to die for you. In your place, I'm going to go to the cross. Every time you gather together, I want you to eat this bread in remembrance of what I did for you on that cross. Let's eat together. Then he picked up a cup. There are multiple cups during this Passover meal. But this cup, this cup was, was, was different. This is the cup that he would not drink from with them. He said, but I will drink it with you in the kingdom. But every time you gather together, I want you to drink it in remembrance of what I did for you on the cross. And, and he said, this cup is the blood is my blood in the new covenant. Well, what did he mean by that? He said, well, every promise in the Old Testament that talked about God giving you a new heart and, 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 and fixing this thing that's in us that, that has a propensity to sin that's broken, he said, what I'm about to do on the cross is, is going to fix that. It, it's, it, that's what I'm doing. I'm redeeming you. And, uh, and so this cup represents my blood that's going to be poured out for you. This cup represents this covenant that it will be so binding, so binding that nothing, absolutely nothing, will be able to result in your condemnation. So every time we come together, Jesus said we're to drink it in remembrance of that. Let's drink together. We're going to sing a song, and uh, as you sing, you know, please stand and just think about the words that you're about to sing. Think about the significance. Think about what it means for you. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus, as you think about these words, I, I, I beg you, I, I ask that you would consider seriously about your relationship with God. The only way to have your sins forgiven is to believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that not only did he die on the cross for your sins. He was buried, and on the third day, he rose from the grave. Amen? So sing this song with me. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.